Hello, motherfunkers. Oh, she's back. I'm back. You're back. You're back. How are you feeling, Shirley? What week are we Physically, emotionally, spiritually. All three. I don't know, actually, what week I'm in. Because unlike my first, you're like, oh my God, same. I'm 13 weeks and two days. Size of a strawberry. Yeah, I'm literally about, uh, probably about six months. I'm two, I'm a week off six months, I think. I'm nearly six months. Amazing. Oh my gosh, that's really flown by. Well, yeah. Gosh, it's terrifying. It is terrifying. It is. I'm quite excited, though, for the summer. I can't cope with this anymore. I can't cope with being so dependent on the weather, like some sort of Dickensian, you know, urchin. I just can't. No, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. I hate it. I hate it. I have to stop moaning, though. I keep on being asked by other mothers how I am. And I think, oh, just don't ask me, because I don't know how to. Because you should just say, I'm fine, thanks. How are you? But I don't. I go into one. I go in. I go off and into one. And it's the weather. The weather's getting me down. We did make it to church, though, last Easter Sunday, so that was good. Oh, how was it? It was nice. The congregation were lovely. It was a nice sunny day. People were very nice. And our son managed to sit next to us for 55 minutes and behave really well. Sure, he borrowed in all the Bibles, but he actually was in really, really good form. But every time he stood up to sing or sort of enjoy the choir who was singing, he did say, finish, and clap his hands and go, home now. And we'd say, no, no, no. <laughs> It did feel like a bit of a wind-up on our part. I thought, yeah, we're standing It's good to... discipline for them, actually. It's really good. I remember having to sit there, you know, and it was often, you know, well, it was often on a Sunday, she recalls, yeah. which was the day after a late night out, because, you know, I went to church every week, every Sunday of my life until I was about 19. Actually, when my mother passed away, I thought maybe now's the time to... That is long. Lord. A 19 is and, pretty impressive. And, you know, when you're, from, when you're 14 and you're just on the piss every Saturday night, unbeknownst to your mother... And, you, and you're going through your goth phase and you just rock up at, serve, you know, the 10 a.m. service and dressed in your black velvet jacket. Just smelling of Smyrna Fice. Smyrna Fice and silk cuts. Yeah, silk cuts. <laughs> Teller and hooch. And um, you just think, I, I actually can't cope with this. Um, but, you know, the hymns got me through. The hymns got me through. I, I love I love hymns. I love a hymn. There wasn't one that I recognised, I have to say. I'm so mad. No, they're all modern now and all the bands are modern. You know, shine, Jesus, shine, fill this land No, I'm with not familiar with that one. I wanted, glory. give me peace in my heart, keep me singing. That's what I wanted. Or, yeah, that's pure preschool. Okay. But it will come. It will you, come. Pathfinders. Pathfinders for the young ones. Shelley and I are so excited. Uh, we managed to speak to the amazing Lady Rizzo yesterday, didn't we, Shelley? Well, she's dropped the lady. She has dropped the lady. She lost her she title. She lost her title. So yeah. for those of you who don't know, should we just introduce her? Oh, yeah. I mean, you're in for a treat, guys. I know I say that a lot, but you're really in for a treat. Rizzo is an American singer, comedian and actress, all of which she does with impossible glamour. When we could all still gather together, she dazzled audiences on both sides of the Atlantic. And when it comes to combining motherhood and work, she's way ahead, even bringing her baby on stage with her. Here's a conversation with the superstar, Rizzo. We're live, and we're live. Hi, and we're Rizzo live. In the house. So where are you? I'm in Portland, Oregon. Um, do you know where that is? No, is that north, south, east, or west? It's the northwest of the United States, right okay. below. Well, yeah, below yeah. Canada, above California is what I What's say. What's the weather doing? Okay. You've What's got a roll neck doing? on, so I'm oh, assuming it's kind doing... of chilly. I wasn't feeling my neck in this position. It's hard to talk and see yourself. Have you found that as a, a truth of this time? 
It's like I almost want to always close the window that I'm at. But no, uh, it is actually cold today. It's overcast. It's Portland, Oregon. It's the Northwest. It's much like Scotland, actually. But this week it's been glorious. It's just not today. Such is the spring, you know. It's similar to London. It sounds like a place that's really good for you. It sounds like a place that's really good for your skin, really good for your bones, you know, almost like a sort of retreat. It's like, it's very, it's, it's like a misting, a constant misting. It's like a spa. Yeah. It's very, um, lovely. That sounds hydrating. Really nice. It's a high hydrating place. It's an evergreen place. It's a place that has okay. a, a lot of, because it rains 300 days of the year, but the other 65 are glorious. <laughs> okay. And that's what counts. Um, so how comes you're there? How comes? Oh, wow. So can I say shit? Yeah. Yeah. Don't hold back. Don't hold back. All right. When the shit hit the fan, March 2020, you know, it became clear to us that something, I mean, it obviously should have been clearer earlier because anything that's happening in Asia is going to happen in New York. I know. Like it, It was just stupid that we didn't take it more seriously uh, but it's the question is how do you take something seriously when you don't have the skills for any mm. of the unprecedented action? But exactly. uh, yeah, when the shit hit the fan, uh, and and Tennyson School, I have a five year old now. He was four at the time. His very progressive Brooklyn school that is invested in racial justice. It's amazing. And it was across the street from us, and we loved it. And it was a wow. community co op school that we had to go and do hours in and. When they said they were closing and then South by Southwest canceled. So when South by Southwest canceled, that was when I think there was a collective reality in New York where we were like, oh, this is real. And the and and Tennyson's co-op school closed and they were like, we just don't want to be the bar mitzvah that gets everybody COVID, Mm -hmm. you know, that shuts everybody down. And and. And so I was speaking to my manager and I luck I had two months just totally off on my calendar because I had luckily spent a year and a half working heavily and making money. And so this was already scheduled in for two months of downtime. I spoke to him and I said, if you had a friend that lived outside of New York with a house, would you call them and say, can I come and be there? And he said, yes, 100 percent do it. So I called my friends that have a lovely place. Uh, it's actually an estate outside of Woodstock, New York. And my friend, um, her name's Amanda Palmer. She's an incredible singer, mm. performer, but she also is very kind of taking uh, the economic reality of artistry to new frontiers because she was a pioneer in Kickstarter land and then now a pioneer in the Patreon world, which is just changing the the way that we consume media and the way that we also make money from art. And she happened, I knew she was in the Antipodes. She was going from Australia to New Zealand at that moment on her, on a big tour. And I said, can I come up to Woodstock? And she said, you need to go tonight. (laughs) Like she had her apocalypse voice on. She was like super, she dom topped me and um, she was like, get a rental car and go tonight. Get out of the city. She was, she's definitely a friend that you want when the zombies come, I think. Um, sure, yeah. So we went up there and then it, hap- it just so happened that she had a couple other friends were there. Had 
come at the same time. And, and this is a space that was meant for artist retreats. In the 60s, it was Bob Dylan's manager, Albert Grossman. He had um, this estate and everyone from George Harrison, Janis Joplin, Johnny Cash would come there. Uh, would would go and they'd make art or or they'd just relax there. And so it has many wow. little kind of outpost buildings. And so we were on like Just Add Water Instant Commune during pandemic fear times. And it was just a really, it was lucky, like a reality show. It was very lady. interesting. <laughs> I know. What an amazing place Oh, you got be. it right. It was amazing. I I In many ways, but... I would just partially, there's another side of having people who you are not related to and are not, you're not either sleeping with or gave birth to witnessing you during a very harrowing Mm. time and living with people that you don't know very well and learning how to live with people when perhaps you haven't done it since your early 20s, mm. like a group of people sharing a kitchen, um, is, was a very, it was a good learning opportunity. I and it was amazing. Life, yeah. which you're not a, a stranger to, are you, Rizzo? No, I'm not sure. Do I call you Shirley too, you, or you, Shirley you one? Just, you, or... <laughs> you can just call me the short Shirley, or Joe. Joe. Um, yeah. Can yeah, I call you Joe? Call Joe? Okay, I didn't know what I could call you. Because I remember in one of your one of your shows, possibly okay. I'm going to fire it out here. Maybe the 2014 coat of many colours, hummus yeah. packed in your uh, packed lunchbox. Yeah, I remember. I loved it. I loved it. I just. Um, yes. I mean, I just want to say that when I first saw you in Edinburgh, it's um, we we were in the same venue, which was the assembly venue. And when you worked in the same venue, you'd have oh, a yeah. pass, mm-hmm. which meant that you can go and see yeah. other shows. And you were my um, you were my guilty pleasure. I'd come literally alone and sit oh. and I'd come and watch you every day like a pervert and sit, hide in the dark, you know, by a pillow and I'd come and watch you because, you know, that you'd get quite obsessed with shows. And I think the year before I was, I yeah. was sitting in Meow Meow show every night. But then the year that, that particular oh, show yeah. I came and it was your show, I sat in every night and I, I remember going back mm. to it and I go, listen, guys, there's a new diva in town. You've got to check this lady out. Oh, and that diva was goodness. you, Rizzo. Oh, was, you're yeah. really... That diva was. I love that. Didn't I didn't pay know for a that. Single show. I actually, I What's actually owe you a lot of money, actually. But um, no, you were you were my escape. No, you it's don't. Brilliant. Um, but yeah, that I love show. That. that show. And you're not the only one who did that, which I which I found later. Like there was oh, a there couple many groups of, of there many perverts. That, I'm sure there were lots perverts. of perverts at the back. All um, of but them. you talked yeah. about that show, your Hello. sort of unusual upbringing, and I remember it really resonated. And I and well, not resonated because it was yeah. anything similar to mine because it was so different. So tell us a bit about that. Well, my parents um, like uh, went on the kind of hippie train up north from California. My mom was uh, hate Ashbury during the 60s. And then when the drugs turned white, (laughs) she um, she was like, this isn't my jam. Yeah. And went up north and met my dad and he said she could stay a couple nights, you know, in his Airstream trailer. And that's kind of the end <laughs> of it. And she, she said she thought <laughs> that they would make good children because they had very different strengths. And and in Oregon, there was this kind of off-the-grid movement. Um, and so they moved to the coast where there were a lot of people that had come from larger cities who were 
wanting to step back from uh, from yeah the status quo. They wanted to create their own realities. They wanted to mm. live in art, make um, children and families in a way where they could still make art. And so basically, we didn't live. They tried actually living in one house in the beginning, and that didn't work. My parents actually ended up being the only ones who were paying rent. And um, and so they separated into different houses, but they still continued making work together and making theater. And um, mm, they would wow. perform Shakespeare and Chekhov and original work in barns and basements and um, outlying areas. And then they actually made their own little tiny theater um, and they made their own theater company, worked with puppets. And so I grew up into that. It was a, mm. it, I, it was community theater, but because it had a lot of people who came from professional lives, it, it had a different kind of edge and seriousness to it, though obviously not that serious because a bunch of like eight kids were just in the green room, you know, circled around some, some one of the adults who was babysitting us. So it was communal. But I would just postulate that there is another step. Something about sharing a kitchen <laughs> makes things complicated. The, the complications lie. Oh, I mean, even sharing with your partner a kitchen is complicated. Never mind. Uh, yeah. Have you noticed that arguments people. happen in the kitchen? <laughs> yeah. Mm. It's not. A, it's not a safe. It's not, yeah, there's something. It's, it's where people. It's the center of the house, isn't it? The kitchen. Yeah. It's always the center of the house. Yes, but yeah. But as I've said before, the alpha needs to be in the kitchen. If anyone gets in her grill right. or his grill, there's trouble. They, you know, people don't work in harmony. In the yeah, kitchen and there's a lot of insecurity that comes around. We were we were dining together, six adults and um, two children every night, or seven adults and two children, um, and so that I I'm so proud of that in a way, like having a, a dinner. Of, of that magnitude every night, but there's a lot of pressure for feet for, for cooking for that many people as well. And yeah, there were just a lot of different rules that came up and yeah, we're in an incredibly lucky position. Like you said, we made, because we were all, you know, people who, well, it was some that came from Boston and some from New York city. We were really missing restaurants and shows and life like that so we made like these pop-up restaurants these imaginary we were lucky to be on this space that had different areas so we would name these cafes and this night it's a pop-up thai restaurant we would decorate like it like it was a restaurant we were so frustrated performers for that energy <laughs> yeah but it's yeah. great that you're all in it together it sounds really you know fun packed so how many households were you then so it was in in the main house. It was three households. Okay, shit. Two gay men that were a couple, a lesbian with a, her her child, and her, her partner um, was a first responder in Boston. So she left. Um, wow. She left to kind of not deal with that coming home, and that, that was Ugh. also hard because um, her partner was frustrated that they weren't with their kids. So you know, yeah. and. Um, it's so so tough and it was it's so hard not to yeah feel the pain and take that personally that you're that she wanted to instead be in this this kind of covid bubble with this other kid 
really we call um, the two kids, like her child and my child, like COVID brothers, because they, mm. they shared this experience of living in, in a home together. Um, and um, yeah, and then the two gay men who had never lived with children, you know, and that was a big learning did it experience them for them. Yeah, did it, did it put them <laughs> off or did it make them plucky? I think it was a mixture. They they leaned in in many moments, and I'm so grateful for that leaning in and being tender and excited to share what, what they could share. Um, but yeah, there's a lot, a lot that we put up with it as parents that, like we would just never expect anybody to understand how to yeah. be tolerant around a four-year-old that's making a high screeching sound, for instance. You know, it's yeah, it just you have to have patience for people who who aren't in that in that space. But but luckily we had pretty. And then then there was a, another family that they had a nanny with them that was over seventy, and they were very protective of her health but needed her help. So they kept a six foot distance from us. Wow. For the first three months, which was also hard because um, we had children that wanted to play together. So I had to be very creative with like theater games Mm. (laughs) that were about keeping distance. It's just kids don't naturally play keeping a six foot distance. And I still wonder what, what is the repercussion of this imprint as a young child of this like spatial. Luckily, Tennyson um, is an incredibly physical, loving, social child naturally. And so I don't think he is going to take this as some sort of long lasting trauma, though. Well, I, th- I think we'll we're actually the ones all of us who are going to suffer more than the youngsters. Yeah. I think they bounce yeah. back. They're quite versatile. But I think it's us that yeah. I think yeah. our behavior will change, um, yeah. maybe has already and maybe will continue to do so. It'd be interesting to see how it plays out. It's been traumatic. Yeah. It really, I think we better, underestimate like, the trauma, actually, of this whole experience. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, there's some things I hopefully more men will wash their hands now after they their you know, touch their penis. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not, she's witnessing I'm not it firsthand and she's not convinced. are you serious oh really oh no No, i think once you come in but i think from member to cutting a cucumber there's no hand washing in (laughs) sadly there's absolutely no from cock to cucumber no no interjection with hygiene from cock to cucumber just don't cut the cock how is tennyson he's the most and so beautiful and so so beautiful so beautiful and so difficult yeah. not to meet him and not fall in love with him. I mean, how old is I he know. now? Five. He's five, and yeah. he is very. He has um, managed to to keep that charm um, and presence. I think he inherited Nick, who's my beloved. He's one of those men that women, after meeting him, they say to me, "It was like he was listening to everything <laughs> I said," which is so saddening because the bar is so goddamn low for men that it would be this, you know, moment of revelation that yeah. he's actually listening, but. Nicholas has that observer and uh, the 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 witnesser, the patient um, listener, and I think that that 
Tennyson has uh, has uh, received that genetically. So yeah, oh, he is very charming, um, and uh, and and also yeah, handsome. I was worried that he he was so cute as a baby. I was really worried he wouldn't develop a personality. It's, it, I mean, it's unfair. You know, it's like, actually yeah, we I just feel. have both, isn't it? He's got personality. I and know. Parents. How dare he? Yeah, I feel like every bit of charm that I've had to develop in my life has been because I did, you know, because the other girls were obviously prettier. So I had to like just ooze it. But yeah, he's doing he's doing well. He deserves to have more playtime with children and uh, that'll happen soon. And you yeah, in- so will. soon. Sorry. And Shirley, am go I on. go on. Yeah. Well, no, I just wanted to say he very much came on the road with you when he was young, right? When he was like sort of a baby you yeah because i made that right? sh- yeah i made that show where i yeah. i did you guys see that multiply yeah. the one yeah 2016 yeah. multiply and i yeah. thought it was a fantastic show and you included him and it, i guess it was quite an organic process for you to include him in the show was it as opposed to trying to you know separate the two it was organic in the way that i i looked at him and i saw him and this is i guess what you have to do every parent has to do you have to look at your child and say what are they kind of able to do like not every kid is able to do different things or he was very food motivated and he was a very relaxed baby yeah and so i was perhaps over obsessed with not letting motherhood motherhood stop my career yeah i had so many non-breeder friends and friends when i told them that i was pregnant there was this kind of instant dismissal that i would be Mm. out of the realm of socializing and making work for a good time. And it's so funny that this is still in our world, but it um, is. Yeah, it really is. And I'm probably sad, for good reason, but also re- you know, because you do need to give time to your kid, you know, but you, Rizzo, you you're but really lucky this... in that you have a very support, supportive partner in Nick because he, he really does. Um, un- yes. I mean, that's unusual, especially for a, a, a fellow man cub. Absolutely. To, to be as yes. helpful as he has been and continues to be. I mean, tell the, tell the listeners, they won't believe. Yeah, he, I'm lucky enough to have found a partner in Nick, or maybe I sought it out. Before I met Nick in 2014, I went on this like deep journey of the soul. I went into intense therapy. I had never had regular therapy. I found like it was a precursor to this time, really, because I found a therapist that would work with me through FaceTime, mm-hmm. through through video chat. And it was a revelation in a way because I knew that therapy was going to be an issue if I had to wake up, go somewhere, get dressed, you know, add yeah. it to my schedule. I wouldn't yeah. prioritize it. But the fact that I could be in bed in Bali, mm. you know, or London or all these places. And I was in a dark moment right before I had my first marriage had ended. I, I married very young. Um, to an incredible man, but I married as a, a youth. He was 20 and I was 22. And, wow, um, that's young. All, yes, and we married because he was not American and I wanted to give, we, we wanted to be together. I wanted him to live in America. I wanted to give him a visa. He wanted to live there. And I will would never in a million years take back my marriage with Andres, Andres Rizzo. And that's oh. how I became Lady Rizzo. It was like- Wow, and where was he from? Colombia. So he was oh, a cool. beautiful, like kind of. He had this like 
Roman-nosed, uh, tall Colombian man that I met when I was a loungeinger for C Princess Cruise Lines in Alaska. And he had thrown a, a salsa dancing <laughs> I party. I met him dancing in Alaska. We fell in love. I brought him to meet my mom. She gave the seal of approval, and we married two wow. months after we met. Then we were married for, uh, yeah, a decade, because we married in 2001, a little over a decade. And so after that marriage ended, even, you know, if it was the right thing, it's a really sad thing for any marriage to end because you feel like you've made this commitment and it's a failure, like failure is stamped upon mm. your moment. And, uh, and I, at the same time that my career was really blossoming, after I had done that initial Edinburgh, after I had um, really made an, my international touring was taking off. It was very excited. I was booking in Australia and all over the UK. My marriage was ending at that exact same time. And, um, probably if my mar if my marriage and career were failing at the same time, I would not be speaking mm -hmm. to you right now because the pain was so great. And so I, I invested in therapy with someone that I trusted actually a family friend who was a therapist so she knew my life uh, I didn't have to catch her up and I didn't feel unsafe by her n knowing my life and um, yeah she was the right kind of Jewish lesbian that I needed she was like a yenta but she we also need to do had this lives. like queer side I know I know and she was like perfect because she'd also done some spiritual journeying in India and so she had all the right mixtures she could like talk to me straight but then also get kind of spiritual but also understand a lot about my family and I was able to really make progressive strides with her and then with her I got to this place where I could fully accept that potentially I would not meet a partner that was equitable that was equi had the equanimity that I needed that was my e true equal that was of my level and that I was not going to um, I was not going to let my standards down uh, and I got to a place personally where I was comfortable with potentially just having lovers in every port and not having a partner no, good for you. And I think it's good to go through that. I think you have to go through that. To, oh, you know. you've got to go through that. Yeah. Man you've got to get through called. your frogs. You do. Believe you me, you've got to get yeah. through your frogs. You I've been through a few. Shirley definitely myself. has yeah. been through many frogs before she got her prince. Right. Yeah, and I know yeah. your prince, and your prince is, is a prince, prince, a definite prince. Did you have moments where you were like, wow, slutting it up? I'm, I'm super yeah. pro-slut, ethical slut, but at this moment like having a lot of casual sex is yeah. not making me if feel if it good. works it works you have for me moments? for a good, good decade <laughs> and then and then i think you get to a stage yeah. where you think actually no i need to i think it was when you discovered enough. tinder wasn't it in the back of a car on the way <laughs> on the way back home one and day. i thought oh god this is fun and it was fun well, when i slowed you down so much fun mean? and then it went down no, no, that's when it really sort of, I think that was the beginning of the end. You couldn't believe you discovered this platform where you could just it, hook but up it was people too, so quickly. It was amazing. And then it was yeah, too much. Easy come, easy go. You go, oh my gosh. It's amazing how quickly this happens. Bearing in mind, I'm a technophobe, so I just couldn't believe how this could, you know, how accessible sex was. And then, yeah, give it sort of 40 days and 40 nights. I had a knackered clacker and I was tired and I thought, no, enough's enough. But it was fun.
Did you say a knacker clacker? She did, Rizzo. A knackered clacker. A tired vagina. Oh, so a fatigued vagina. Fatigue, she yeah. has a fatigued vagina. <laughs> Is that yeah, what the doctor what the said? Doctor, it's, been, it's actually it's a, it's a condition. It's a legal term. It's an 18th century condition. The fatigued vagina. She must rest now. But in, the, in the 18th century, it's for very different reasons. It was for childbearing <laughs> and childbirth. Not for fucking casual sex, but off you go. <laughs> right in the 20s perhaps i've never done any tinder i never never I done do any online long. i was quite scared by it by the end jojo how about you <laughs> no i have, have never done that? oh no no so i'm not that kind of girl i just i could i couldn't i just couldn't i i'm i guess i'm a bit of a prude like that yeah yeah i, I i'd be a bit scared to be honest with you i think yeah well, I just feel like the pressure, I mean, but maybe I've, I haven't gone through it and many people are, you know, like, especially Debs, who you met a little earlier. Debs is, by the way, in my my life right now is so blessed because basically we That's have great. three parents for one child. <clears throat> really, that should be the yeah, ratio. Yeah, you're absolutely but, right. But um, Debs, Debs is a, a, a lesbian and a, um, a proud lesbian for, for many years now and Anytime I diss online dating or hookups, she reminds me that this has opened up a whole other avenue of queer life that just was so so much more difficult. But I, I just feel so concretely enamored with the idea of pheromones and all the information that can come from meat space, as I like to say. You know, I just can't imagine getting what I need yeah, from I agree. a swipe. I feel like I would swipe, meet up with the person and be like, I'm so sorry. There's some note in your chemistry mm-hmm. that it is making my nostrils tingle. And I've actually in Edinburgh, because I was extremely slutty there, in bed with a man and been like, I am so sorry. This is just not going to work. It's not that you smell. It's that you don't Gosh, smell good that's to strong. Me. That is pretty strong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you mean, Rizzo. I know exactly what you mean. But also, at the Edinburgh Festival, I understand people don't... Yeah, people don't smell... But it, it can equally funky. work the other way. I remember once at, when I was at a university on um, one of the many freshers' weeks that go on, which is basically a, a piss-up at the beginning of um, term. I think you guys call it something different. Freshman. Um, I, I smelled a smell in the air. Yeah. And it was quite, it was a mixture of male BO and a scent. And I followed this smell because it did something. It lit up something and I followed it. And there was a butt ugly man on the other side, on the other side of this scent. But I still, I went for it that night. Not, I didn't take him to bed. I'm talking about a pash, but scent is everything. (laughs) And sometimes it's not the same scent. It, it, it will take you by surprise. You can't put your finger on it, but it's a scent that you just go, Right. I, I'm compatible with that scent, and it's scent is everything. Shirley's got a very strong scent. She smells of cumin most of the time, but it's strong. It's sort of like it's like the Middle Eastern <laughs> desert. I rem- I know when she's been in the room. That's what I'm saying. Do you know? I'm not you know saying what? it's a good or bad I... thing. I'm just saying I know your scent. No cumin is the. Li- I mean, yeah. most Mexican no, it's a good It's one, Middle like, Eastern. It's cumin. a Middle Eastern spice, yeah, it is. and um, I cook a lot with it, so I think therefore I sweat it a lot. Um, but I have to say that talking of desert, I don't know about you, but during lockdown, my quill has been quite dry. Um, I, I, oh, nice. I say quill because um, one of my favourite. Now I know I do realise we're like bees; we're just darting to and from subjects. But hey ho, um, one of your fa- one of your songs, yeah. your original songs, that is my absolute favourite song, not just of yours, but a favourite song, 
is um, um, ink dip. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be so yeah. brazen as to ask you to uh, shantoos for us. Love oh yeah, you. I knew, I knew you, you would. One more dip in your ink, cause my quill is dry. My quill is dry. I wrote that song about a lover. So that first husband, because we got married so early, three years in, I said, "Listen, I need to be honest with you. I don't think that you or I." are going to be monogamous and is there any way that we could bypass the whole lying to each other cheat cheating on each other and like try something else um because i also don't think that as your third person you've had wow. sex with no. i should be the last mm. three is dusty and um and i said i I really love you. Like, what What could we do? And he said, well, we're not going to have an open mar marriage. You're my wife. I'm Colombian. That's not going to work, so goodbye. Mm. Yeah, goodbye yeah. to the conversation. And I said, all right, well, how about I tell you this. If you were at a party and I wasn't there and there was a girl you really wanted to kiss and you didn't kiss her because of me, I would be saddened by that. So take that for what you will and... And then seven months later, he was like, do you remember when you yeah. said the thing about the But did you want the same for yourself? And did you say, yeah. meanwhile, yes. if I am at the party and you are not present, then I, you know, because... <laughs> right. I said, let, let you mm. do it first because wow. you're more fearful of this. But I, I'm letting you know that I'm not interested in falling in love with anyone. But I'm also like I'm a bisexual. I'm a, a the unicorn of the world. I'm a true bisexual, and you can be a lot of things for me, but you can't be a woman, you know. And um, and so and that at me at this tender age, I I just I need to be more sexually expressive. Yeah, and so we had eight years of, of wow. uh, non-monogamy. And um, it worked out pretty well, but the first kind of hiccup was the man that I wrote that song about. And I think that um, why, what that song was to me is that this particular lover, we were very similar. Like, it was almost like he was very, he was very charismatic, very extroverted, very charming, very funny. He was a performer. He was a singer and comedian. And it was almost like I was fucking myself, you know, and falling in love with the mm -hmm. side of myself that I was able to see externally. And he just, I think that action of, of falling in love with a side of myself that he stimulated made my creativity uh, mm -hmm. flow. And so basically that song is about, um, about someone, you know, in, in romance, unlocking a part of your creativity that then you feel like you, you're addicted to it because it's unlocking that part of you. And I, as an older, somewhat wiser person, w would probably tell myself, it's not really this man. It's not really this person. The creativity is there. It's not even any drug. It, it, we just take these kind of roads to get to certain parts of our freedom that are that is so wise and it's so so true I mean the way I read that song and I think it's possibly because of experiences I was going through at the time was someone unattainable that you can't have 
that a sort of illicit love affair. Mm. Just one more shag. Yeah. You know, one more shag and that's it. And then that's yes. it. But it's never, it's never just that last one. I'm going to come back for more. My quill is no. <laughs> My yeah, quill is Yeah, I know, dry. right? Well... Well, yeah, it is that too, because I also knew that the the kind of addictive feeling that I was having was going to be detrimental for my marriage, really, like um, open marriage works until you get, you know, I've gotten digmatized twice. And the first one was a true hiccup in marriage. And we had to consciously say, no, like we're, we're back in this, but we had to take a little break I had to come out here actually and settle my thoughts you know and then the second one it it just was the end of the marriage because I was so it was just that kind of sex that yeah it was it was addictive it was I just couldn't stop even when my husband asked me to and so that was kind of the parts of our rules where it went through so many different realms of rules but for a while it was don't ask, don't tell, don't lie was like the basic, the basic thing. We knew that when we were having nights away that something was happening, but, uh, and then the other rule is that there's a veto power. If one of us says, this is not feeling good for me, I'm your primary, then you had to stop. And I just, it was too hard for me to stop. So yeah, that's, I just took that as a very mature approach at a very young age, I'd say of of having openness yeah well I think it reflects on the fact that my first husband was just a, such a magical unicorn that I was well like he was so magnetic so loving everyone who met him understood why uh, automatically why why I married him so quickly he was uh yeah he was he still is just a he's lovely still, I was person. about to say he's still he's still 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 yeah, we we had a lot of tax debts for a while, so our relationship was a bit marred and connected it's not in that way. Sexy about tax, especially joint tax. No, but in a way, I'm grateful because it meant we yeah. had to stay mm. in touch yeah. Yeah. to deal with this business and work through it, and and through working through it, recommit to each other that we still love each other and will always love and that we'll always be family and yeah it oh, makes so me lovely. because I still so have lovely, so much though. tenderness isn't it it's I understand yeah. and, completely and... I, you know I, I have a very similar situation myself and with a, a, a my first longest standing boyfriend of 12 years who Rizzo knows who I love yeah, di- yeah, who knows. I who I love dearly and oh yes I mean, I'm oh, just yeah. remembering yeah. Exactly why you might know him. And um, we have, and we still keep in touch because we have a property together. So we have that financial sort of connection where we, we can't really be separated right. from one another because we have this property in common. But it keeps us together and it keeps us bound because, and we have to keep on renegotiating yeah. where we are because the relationship changes. It's very hard to break free from a, a, um, a relationship that was so long, and especially when you're so young, because I was really young, and I, th- that's your craziest love, you know, that's your biggest love. And it ends. Yeah. And then how do you reestablish yeah. a relationship? They're not. You're still calling them their cutie names. You can't do that anymore. They belong to someone else. You belong to someone else. But you still love each other. It's more than friendship. It's a bit weird. Mm-hmm. So you constantly have to recheck. You know, check in with each other. Where, where are we now? And we're probably the most yeah. platonic we've ever been now. Like it's more mature than it's ever been. I mean, when you look at how many people deal with breakups, I feel like they there's so much love 
that you had for this person that meant so much to you that people don't have tools to transform that love and so it it often turns to animosity mm. and hatred and uh i think that that's a protection or a, a protection against the the larger work of transitioning a relationship into platonic because it is not easy it's easier to say that guy's mm. an asshole that that woman's a bitch she ruined my life it's not as if there are and people in the world who have had relationships with pe with people who are potentially, you know, sociopaths or liars or have done something that are incredibly hurtful. But um, but I think mostly people take an easier route of hatred. Um, my parents have been divorced uh, for 22 years and yes, uh, they're friends. My dad has dinner with my mom and her husband. Um, he comes over and helps uh, make it, fix really the nice. computer. They have a relationship. So I've been modeled for that. But that that relationship trans transitioning to friendship somewhat quickly for the fact that my dad um, did kind of end the marriage in, in I'd say, a rude way. But um, meaning, like she said, what are we doing for New Year's Eve? And he said, I don't know what you're doing, but I had to oh, have a date. My <laughs> that is rude. That is rude. <laughs> That's bad manners. I know. I know. That was a bit rude. <laughs> yeah, bad manners. Um, but I also think that was his emotional, um, like, intelligence just wasn't mm. able to have the, at that moment, have the bravery to have a kind talk. Because it's really hard to be, to not have, it takes bravery and intelligence and courage, really, to be yeah. ethical. Mm. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> That's what I'm kind of realizing yeah. in my life. Um, but my parents uh, quite quickly transformed their relationship to friendship, which um, which was great as a model. And and I remember how rare, even in my early 20s, um, that was. That It was kind of revolutionary that my parents were divorced and friends. I remember many of my friends being oh, shocked course. that they It's pure hippie, isn't friends. it? It's pure hippie. Yeah, to be I guess. Commended. Now it's like... Yeah, and also my... Sorry, is going to tell you that now it's no, really tacky. I would say. Would she, say? Or she doesn't no, tell I... me how tacky it is to get married. Because it's so tacky. I mean, people don't... Who does it anymore? It's so I tacky. I never use that right? word tacky. I say it's you traditional. Say I me, said it's go, very traditional. You say it's very common. You say it's very traditional. Very common. I have it's never used the, the word tacky or common. I say it's very, <laughs> no. it's very traditional. It's not, you know, it's not It's not a modern. <laughs> she slags it off. Since oh. I've been married, she hasn't stopped slagging off marriage. Before that, she was pro. But let's just talk about how gorgeous your wedding was. And that was Thank like... Thank you. Well, and, I mean... I just it feels I, like a lifetime ago now though doesn't it it was what 2017 and 200 people in the field can you imagine that again now yeah, I, it's hard for me to imagine Hardly. but I, I guess I would say Jojo to what you're saying yes there's parts of marriage that especially um especially being in my queer community it's, it, in it was like what it's so heteronormative it's so unnecessary why do we need this um you know why are we even fighting for this right that is outdated why are we fighting to be like straight people but um but i would just counter to say that we are in an increasingly um secular world that has lost 
the magic of ritual and there's only a couple of rituals that we okay. still I absolutely to. do agree with you it, I agree with you wholeheartedly and actually it's more the patriarchal um, setup of marriage that I object yes. to so yes. I don't understand why Shirley has to give up her surname for instance yeah that doesn't make sense to me I kind of agree okay and when I was with a guy and I thought we were going to get married I would practice my surname I wouldn't be happy about it and I tried it out and I go oh but that was just expected of me. I wouldn't even think to challenge it. But when I got with a woman, the idea, and we're engaged, and there could be a wedding, you know, we just, we're just getting the windows done first. Um, <laughs> when I when we it wouldn't even cross our minds for mm -hmm. me to take her name or for me to give, for either of us yeah. to give up our names. It wouldn't cross our minds. So there, that's what I object to. The yeah, union, I, I love, people will always find a way to celebrate love and come together. A party, great. The union, I approve of 100%. The patriarchy, I don't. Yeah, it's the old-fashioned parts of marriage. That's it's, what it's I like mean, the, and it's very uh, old-fashioned. The dowry, the idea that... I quite like all that part. All that part I love. This is the bit that I really... You love the dowry? I, <laughs> I love the tradition of it. I'm old school. I'm 1950s. No, listen, I understand. I do understand. But the thing is, if someone asks you, you can't go, no, actually, you know what? Not for me today, Clive. You know, that's the thing. I genuinely, genuinely didn't know that I was going to get proposed to. Like, no idea. I was in California. I was in the Red... Redwoods? The Red Brick? The Red... Oh. The Redwoods are amazing. You don't go to the Redwoods and say no. And so I had no idea. And so actually, I just thought, yeah. But I didn't think about the whole... I really didn't think that he'd propose. Really? I really didn't think. Because we'd... Well, because we'd only been together a year and a half, yeah. maybe two years. Yeah. But listen, I just thought, you know, time's a ticket. I didn't feel like and, in um, witnessing you during your nuptials that you were in any space that was like, um, you know, the bride that is in the patriarchal realm. Like, I just felt like no, you were just... exactly. You were so calm and giving... It. She owns I, it. I do yeah. use my maiden name a lot, especially professional. I use it more and I wind him up with it. But I'm annoyed that our son has it. But but then actually, so this is what gets complicated. So so I guess yeah, I have this lucky backstory of having parents that were on a progressive tip already. My mom did not take my father's name, and then yeah. my name, my my birth name is Amelia Zirin Brown, and so I went through life with a lot of time spent writing out my name and so like it's a, it's it's a long name and then the complication comes that my name is Amelia Zirin Brown what am I going to give is Tennyson going to be Tennyson Zirin Brown Raymond am I going to choose that either my mother or my father's name doesn't get there it's it, it gets complicated so so what is this then? his Sorry. name is Tennyson Zirin Raymond and Zirin is the matriarchal Jewish name that is his middle mm, name okay and As Raymond is be. his last name. So uh, we let go of Brown. Brown is, is, is common. And the name Zirin. Um, so, but his last name is Raymond. I, who knows what his children, you know, I have, I have many friends that they, the, the parents made up their last name because they did not want to yeah. be part of this uh, system of, of, and it's so strange to me, like, my mother's husband, who's an incredible like cowboy poet, but from an earlier generation even than my mo mother, he's he's 82 now, and so he is like the fourth William Terry, you know William Terry. Like he has his father's name, 
his father had his father's name. You know, it's like, what is that system that we're just like passing on the same name? How strange. How strange is that? I get it. Like, and that, that is ending with him, I think. Why is it that we take the father's name? Because actually, yeah. a, a father doesn't know necessarily how many children he has. He, mm-hmm. You know, most do, but some often don't know how many they father. A mother will always know how many children she's had. Yeah. So it always makes sense for me that you take the mother's name. Yeah. But that yeah, isn't, that... of course, it's not going to be the way and it never is the way. And it will, you know, but it, it never makes sense for me why we take the father's name when the father can father up to how many he wants and in different places. And sometimes, you know, off, off the back of a one night stand won't know that he's fathered a child. Yeah, I think it, it, a lot of these patriarchal conditioning are, are just connected to old fashioned economics. And it comes back, you know, to, to like, if this child has my name, I will make sure it is fed. This comes back to, I think, a, a conversation that we we jumped off of was when I gave birth to Tennyson. And I was like still really interested in in working as quickly as possible and proving that I could work as soon as possible. And so making that show, it felt natural in a way that I was exploring how I can take these duties of nursing and use them in my art and in the same way expose them in a way where it was welcoming with the witness of this actual maternal nurturing love and uh and trying not to exploit it but i don't think if if he had been a fussy child or not food based it would have seemed like exploitation when i especially performed multiplied in the uk it was resounding how many male born male identified people would come up to me after the show and slightly whisper I was crying so hard when you nursed your child and I don't know why I don't know why I was weeping almost every show two to three men would come up find a way afterwards to tell me this And I've sat with that and wondered, like, why did this? And I honestly think because it was an image that bypassed their brain, that connected themselves to some sort of feeling of nurturance Mm. that they received, that was able to connect to an emotional center that they perhaps have distanced themselves from for a while. Mm. And especially men in the UK, I feel, are, are disconnected, and women as well, from an emotional life because of the conditioning um, around control of of emotional outburst, that societal kind of check of being calm and collected and carrying on. So it was really interesting to me that... A lot of men in the UK, I think, still wish they were breastfed, to be honest, if, if the truth be known. Mm. I do think that. But I, I would like to know... Is there a massive difference between American audiences and British audiences in terms of when you do your live shows? Yeah, there is. Yeah, Um, I can imagine. uh, British audiences, I always felt like it took five to seven minutes for me to prove my intelligence. And um, after that, they relaxed. Um, Uh Or they buckled up for the fact that this wasn't potentially just a music show. And in that same realm, there is such 
a rich and long-standing commitment to the live performing arts in the UK that I almost, it was so relieving to me that there was a leaning in automatically to that tradition as opposed to in America, we see live, the live performing arts as secondary to filmed or recorded as the thing we see live performance as kind of the thing you do to get to the place that you're you could be on TV or in movies or make records in the UK there is a respect for these arts that um yeah. that I grew up in that I was trained in that was so relieving to me that I was respected automatically for being a live performer that also in that first initial experience with an audience it was like I don't have to prove to them that a live experience is worthwhile. I do have to prove that this is perhaps a different kind of experience where I'm going to ask of them to access a different side of freedom through my experience of freedom. So take me like a drug, take me like an intoxicant to allow you to feel in a different way. Audiences in America already have that access to feeling in a more out loud way. So they're more vocal automatically. They're more responsive in a way that's not like in, in the UK, it almost felt like primary school r r responses. Like I say this mm -hmm. and then you say that we all yeah. know our realms and yeah. this is where you speak. And this is where I speak Yeah. in America. It's sloppier. So I, in a, I enjoy performing in the UK more because like, my lovers are like a challenge, you know, like, I like, I, I don't want to, you sure. I, I want, I want to, to have a, and, and the challenge of experiencing that kind of palette of emotional felt like a journey every time it felt like, ah, we started here where there was a respect that I gained upon five minutes where you, you felt that you gave me the respect of the live performance, then five to seven minutes in, you gave me the respect of a thinker and, um, and someone who's going to take you on a, a mind journey. And then we got to the place where, because you trusted in me in those first two places, we were allowed to go into an emotional and perhaps transformative space that in the end, you are unboxed. We succumb. We succumb yeah. in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to break us down first. No, I like that. I can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait for you to come back to the UK and do another show. It's going to be yeah, exciting. Gonna... I mean, it already is going to be exciting anywhere because Yeah. Because people are so hungry for that. I when I think about performing, I'm a little frightened because I I don't know if this is happening to you, but I'm like am I so rusty that I've forgotten how to do it? Like, do I remember how to do it? Can I write another show? Like what? Of course. It will come back to you. Of course. I know we moved away. We, we, we touched on the subject and then we moved away, but your current partner, yes. who is your husband? Nick is your husband, isn't he? No, we're not married. No. Um, no. Yeah. Partner, he, then. Yeah. He has proposed to me. During lockdown or before? Before. And, it was challenging for me to receive the proposal in a way that I was surprised. And it is not as if I don't want to spend the rest of my life with this amazing man and I don't want to grow old, partner, and raise a child. I think it's just that problematic nature of marriage and once you've been in that covenant of marriage and then ended it. Yeah, it's hard to... I yeah. did not behave very well it, it, when he proposed. It was somehow challenging 
he took me to a place right outside. It was like an old abandoned um, office building and proposed to me outside the office of the woman who in Canada who was designing these amazing rings. And I did not behave so well because I did not like the, the oppressive lighting of the, I didn't understand why it was happening in this hall, like dilapidated hallway under fluorescent mm -hmm. lights. And uh, upon reflection, I realized that the lighting was very similar to like the courtroom that I had to do my divorce, like mm -hmm. paperwork in, like yeah. it was challenging for me. And I guess when I said that thing about ritual earlier, and yeah, I'm being very honest. I'll I'll let him know that I'm I'm talking about this in an intimate moment in this podcast. He knows being partnered with me that I'm not so I'm not a closed book, but um, I I needed the um, the ritual of the proposal to be more poetic. Mm. Listen, if that Stasi lighting wasn't working for you, I get it. I, I'm you know, very, and yeah. he's a lighting he designer. Right. He's a lighting designer. Yeah, you should I know. know. I know. Yeah. I know. So it's the whole package. It's that you have to, you're buying into the yeah. whole thing. It has to be right. I get it. And lighting is so important. And you're always beautifully lit. That's another thing. You are always beautifully I am. Lit. I'm always beautifully lit. And well, yeah. I told my good friend this story and she said, there's really only one thing to do. And I was like, what is it? And she said, you have to propose to him in the conditions that you want. Mm. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, damn it. Now I have to do that yeah. work and I still haven't. It's been you two will. years since, but he is my beloved. I, I am so, so grateful to have met this man in Sydney and, um, and then quite soon get pregnant. It was a <clears throat> year into a long distance related relationship that we had just started cohabitating. And how do you normally split your time then? Because I know we're in a pandemic, but normally how, how does it work in terms of, do you stay in Australia for a bit or do you just visit? We've just visited, but this pandemic has shown him in a more intimate way how much he de desires to return home. And yeah. hell, right now, this year, I really wish we were there. I look at my friend Amanda, who is still in New Zealand and has not returned to her Woodstock home um, that we were living in. And she is going to parties, going to festivals. Yeah. It's like it's like looking into another world. It's yeah. incredible what Jacinda Ardern has done. And you look at all the countries that are female led and you're like they're yeah, doing it's women. better. They're Amen. doing better because they took healthcare seriously and over the small window of economic duress. <clears throat> like men are so frightened of economic duress even in a small time, yeah. but they And they're slow. They're slow. That's the thing. Women responded very quickly. Angela Merkel the same. It, they just responded very quickly. And they took it they, and themselves very seriously. seriously. Yeah. They took it seriously. Yeah. They took measures seriously. And they took mothering seriously. And that, in a way, I want to say, like, that is maybe the feminine, like, the birthright we have of nurture. No matter how feminine you feel like as a woman, we have this birthright of nurture. And nurture come, comes in handy when your country is handling a pandemic. Rizzo, I think that's the perfect place to um, end what has been, for me especially, a very, very enjoyable. Aww. And yeah, for anyone who, you know, who, who is yet to check out Rizzo, shame on you. You have got your podcast, haven't you? But I want more episodes. Rizzo, two is not enough for me. I know, I know. So yeah, Zadie Smith is next and we're putting her... Brilliant. I've already actually released it to my Patreon. And if I, if I could just have a moment to plug my Patreon. Yeah. Dude. So um, in this year with all all the gigs canceled and of quite bleak personal economic outlook, I also was 
looking at it, I was inspired by my friend Amanda. She had been speaking to me pre-pandemic about how the cer- certain qualities of my artistic output are really suited to this kind of deeper connection with people who are invested in your work interested in your work, interested hearing from from your point of view. I wasn't a blogger by trade, but I, I've always been a writer. I've written my shows. And so to take this kind of writing to another uh, space and then also make the podcast, I launched a Patreon on my birthday in September last year and um, steadily have grown. And it's, it's such an incredible way to connect with people in a way that is investing a bit further than social media because you're paying, you know, as little as $2 a month to help sustain Mm -hmm. like the work that you're receiving. I've been able to have like creative circles with my patrons. I've been, I did like a, a solstice conjunction junction ritual, like a, um, ritual welcoming the solstice circle. I've uh, put out chapters of a book I'm writing. I put out these episodes of my podcast and, um, and then also been able to like kind of creatively mine what their life is like, what this world is like and mm. for them. And it feels in a way, I guess, more wholesome or secure or sacred than um, Facebook or Instagram because they're not mining data to sell. It's it's um, mm. it's a more reputable company, and so you're able to connect virtually. But it's not this other side of like what, of all the rabbit holes of what the big business social media has has done. And I have many patrons on there that have left traditional social media, and this is their only kind of connection into that realm and then they're connected by through to the other patrons by this kind of thread of we both like this artist and we want this artist to survive and we like what they make we're invested in what they make and furthermore we're taking the fact that we still have jobs or any sort of um you know income to lean in to ensure that they're able to continue making work and not only that beyond the pandemic continue making work in a way that isn't just this gig hungry jumping from gig to gig worried like i have this baseline of support that is it's not that much money per month but it's enough for me to not be so desperate to potentially not work on these longer term art projects and it and instead like feel safety in like turning down perhaps a like a lower paid nightly thing that takes up my whole day mm. and how can people how can people um get involved it's, it's via the website isn't it yeah it's yeah. patreon which is just patron with an e slapped in the middle and i'm on there as rizzo um it's actually patreon.com slash rizzo love um but you can just search r-i-z-o rizzo with one z i often wear onesies um so you can remember it that way um we'll put it in the show <laughs> notes so that people can uh, yeah check it out check out what's going on there uh i recommend it i've become a patron of a couple people since that and i i do i i'm happy i'm happy to do that i i I support rachel cargyle who's teaching white women how to be better allies for um for black lives matter for the entire black community because there's been a kind of a rift there and so she's doing the work of like so i don't have to lean on my black friends to teach me how to be a better ally i'm paying her to teach me how to unlearn some of these conditioning you know it's it's just an interesting it's an interesting shift where i think we can take this moment to say okay we've trusted in these 
big media companies, businesses, which really have a lot of white men often at the top of them, you know, to get our media. And what if we're in in a way just being more punk rock and going straight to the source straight of the people source. and saying, I'm going to give yeah. you $5 a month and because I want to hear what you make and what you say and how you sound. Listen, it sounds great. Love it. It yeah. does. I'm going to get involved. Uh, My $2 yeah. is coming How do I away. get another t I'm after yeah. some merch. Uh, yeah. I've still got that t-shirt. I still wear your t-shirt to bed the entire time. I, I, are my, I want are my eyes on your titties? Yeah. yeah. I like it. My son loves. He points to them every morning and enjoys. <laughs> um, so I want some merch. Again, I'll go to the yeah, website. It's, it's I want actually, some fresh merch. My, merch. my website is rizzo.love. I let go of the .com okay. yeah. um, just because I realized I wasn't really a com. Not you're really not a dot com kind of girl. No, you're more love. Yeah. You're more love than yeah. com. Yeah, Definitely. yeah, and that's what I am on Instagram. Though. On Instagram, also, I'm pretty, um, pretty active, and I'm there as a as Rizzo dot love. I love you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I love you guys. Love you. Rizzo. It's really good to see you. Mwah. So much to say, and that's so little time. It feels so like. little time, and yet we went on, and yet. Um, just didn't cover half the bases. I know. Didn't cover half the bases. But what an amazing woman. She's really in touch. She's really connected to herself, isn't she? Oh, she really, she really, she is. really knows herself. And I quite envy that. Like, um, I, she, she's on a spiritual journey. And I think she's come to the, not to the end by, by no means. But she's actually, you know, she's been, she's been on that journey. Whereas I'm still finding the sort of departures lounge. No, she's great. And she's very connected. And actually, having met her son, who's an absolute charmer. It seems like he's very connected as well. Oh, what a charmed boy and what a lucky life. What a, it's, yeah. um, actually, Very I've uh, I've been our, um, uh, my agent. <laughs> I haven't said that in a while. My agent has asked uh, if myself and my son would like to play the role of daughter and grandchild because the, the lead is a, a grandmother. And we have to sort of chat about going to see granny. And That's sort of fun. Think, yeah, it's fun. It's due in, he's in bed now and it's due in tomorrow at three in the afternoon and he's at nursery all day. So unless I can do it first thing in the morning. Is it an advert? Yeah, it's for High Street Bank. However, great. the problem is, you know my willing, she doesn't like him being... What I would do is right, do it behind me. her back. <laughs> do it behind her back early hours. And then when you get the part, see how much it is and negotiate. You gotta listen. Life is a hustle, girlfriend. You gotta hustle it. Well, and to I be figure, honest, I think your son will be great. Well, the thing is, what I think is, I think he would be. You know, sometimes kids look back and go, "I'm so embarrassed. Why did you do that to me?" I don't think he'll be one of those. And plus, right. he gets an, he gets his own stash of money, which I think goes straight to his bank account. And when he's old, you go, "You got this for being in that ad." You don't need to justify it's it to fun. me. I'd say take all the money and let him work. Because what I say, don't worry about that. <laughs> no, I just so mama gets mama gets her lot, and he gets yeah, yeah, his. Yeah. He listen, gets a bit. listen. Go for it. I say, I say, don't tell her. If you get it, then you can discuss. Someone needs no to point. hold the camera. Come on. They want an ident of him walking towards the camera, chatting. <laughs> Imagine. And, chatting and, to you. Yeah, they, yeah. so the one at conversation and walking, they, he needs to do an ident too. You're going to knock, name on that door. knock on that neighbour's door. <laughs> First thing. 620. Excuse me. So sorry to bother. Uh, what's your winner winner, Shirley? Um, painting. Oh, yes. I mean, not so much for me, but my son's been really enjoying. So, yeah, arts and crafts. I've been getting more into my arts and crafts with him because we have to. And it takes time and he's creative and it's nice. It's messy and it's, yeah, and it's wet. 
but yeah, I'd say arts and crafts. What's your winner winner? Welcome to my world. Um, my win, my world. I'll start with my dead duck, and it goes into my winner winner. Um, so my son, having been potty trained for about six months now, is now was just pissing in his pants, Good. and just like lying there and just creating a puddle. He goes, "Mummy, I've just weeded my pants." I said, "I can see now what's going on," and just doing that quite a lot. And so I looked it up, and it's um, called potty training regression. And uh, and it's usually for a reason, you know, if, you, if there's a big move, you're moving house or if a, a sibling is on its way, which um, not yet. Um, and a few other things, which he doesn't really tick any of those boxes. So he just can't be asked. So, so he's just then, being a scamp. He's being a scamp. And so I just um, I read they said, listen, try, you know, go back to incentives. They say incentives. It's bribery, basically. So I said, if you do a wee wee in the toilet today i'll give you a you know mm-hmm. he wants an easter egg that's all he's into at the moment and um yeah he goes and, and he said deal and he puts out his hand shakes and did them all in the loo and then demanded uh, an egg at the end of the day which i gave him promptly good so yeah, i think we're back on track so that's my it's, it's both a dead duck and a winner winner but um it just goes to show that actually we learn bribery from a very very early age and we continue oh, yes. through through and life it it, you know cash is king yeah, gifts as incentives always work Absolutely. And they start so young, it's amazing. And the books encourage it. My dead um, duck is the fact that my son has started sleep regression. So basically he goes in and he starts crying now. And the only way that he falls asleep is if I hold his hand. Oh, hand, hand, geez. hand. Tighter, don't go, please don't go. So he makes me feel very guilty. But I stay with him for, I'd say, between five and ten. And then I say, no, mummy has to go and cook now. <coughs> I'm glad I'm still coughing. Week three. <coughs> if only I could take a lem sip and just knock it on the head, but I can't. It's all steaming for me. Can you not take a lem sip because of the No, pregnancy? you're not allowed to take anything, really. Paracetamol, but I, I really just want to beat them. Anyway, never mind. Never mind about that. So I'm really pleased that we've now, after all that money with the Sleep Fairy, we're now playing that game. Okay. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much to Rizzo. Thank you guys for continuing to listen. And um, yeah, so really, we're, we're, we're pleased with this app. We are. We are. We enjoyed her very much. Many, many thanks. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Motherfunk with Shirley and Shirley, otherwise known as Joanna Carolan and Pascal Wilson. Produced by Mabel Productions. Tune in and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.